Hi everyone, Scott Wells, founder and owner of Lift Strong Run Fast, joins the podcast. I do want to point out right off the bat uh, that in the second half of the podcast, Scott does use some colorful language as part of the stories that he tells. We have chosen to leave those in and not edit because we do strive to reflect the 100% authenticity of our guests. So check out that little e-tag there for explicit. So I just want to give you a heads up in case you have children around or sensitive ears while you are listening. Okay, more about Scott. Founded in 2008, Lift Strong Run Fast is a recovery-based conditioning and strength discipline, utilizing the conjugate method founded upon the four principles of discipline, recovery, balance, and longevity. Scott discusses his fitness background, the roots of Lift Strong Run Fast. Uh, We also talk about his relationship with CrossFit as he was one of the early adopters of CrossFit and was trained by Greg Glassman, co-founder of CrossFit at the original Santa Cruz gym. We talk about several successes and challenges that Scott has faced along the way, what motivates him, what inspires him. We get into his family life, his diverse personal background being from Singapore, then moving to the U.S. while he was growing up, and how travel has shaped his personal perspective. Later in the podcast, we talk about Scott being baptized and how uh, that has been a personal transformation for him as well. We get into his thoughts on steroids and uh, what a lot of his tattoos mean. He's got a lot of them uh, and tons more of interesting topics from business ownership, entrepreneurship, travel, and everything in between. If you would, while you are listening to this podcast, please rate it and review it. Uh, That, again, helps us to spread uh, the goodness that uh, our guests share uh, so our guests can also have more listeners uh, while they're on the podcast. Please share this with your pals and buddies on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, all the good social media stuff. And if you are not a subscriber, please be sure that you do subscribe. You get a new episode uh, fresh to you every Wednesday. Check out our archives at everestcooper.com slash podcast. Check us out at facebook.com slash Cooper and then at Cooper on Instagram. So please enjoy our conversation with Scott Wells. Welcome to the Everson Cooper podcast. We are entrepreneurs that are interested in what makes people successful. In this podcast, we sit down with a wide range of people with diverse perspectives and backgrounds. We dive into the obstacles that they've had to overcome, their successes, unique experiences, and everything in between. Our goal is to continuously learn from those around us and share their knowledge so that we can all find something that makes us better and makes those around us better. We hope you enjoy. Scott Wills, thanks for joining the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, we've had a chance to talk. Um, you have a lot of experience. You have a lot of awesome stories. You uh, have traveled the world, and I know that is a big part of your uh, experience and your journey and the perspective that you have on life and things that you like to offer into everything that you do. Definitely. Uh, so you are the founder, the owner of Lift Strong, Run Fast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so talk a little bit about that. It's a, so it's a conjugate system of strength and conditioning. So talk about what conjugate means. And then, I mean, it, you know, you've got four principles that it's based mm-hmm. on. You have a whole philosophy. It's, I mean, it's, Definitely. effectively, it's your, your lifestyle, what you live. So talk about that. Yeah, so, you know, um, this, I guess, philosophy started from when I was, like, really young. You know, going through and doing a bunch of different training, uh, being an athlete, and through, I would say throughout life, you know, building these experiences and then becoming an adult and then developing this process of 
uh, trial and error, what I went through, what I saw worked, what I saw didn't work. But um, usually when I when people ask me, what is Lift Strong Run Fast? I tell them, you know, it's a system I, I originated many years ago, which was my belief on, you know, my self-expression on what, on what I thought health and fitness should be. Um, you know, starting from the beginning, <clears throat> uh, obviously being in high school, I would, uh, I would train, you know, being an athlete and I would go through this, um, I guess four to six week period of strength training to, you know, to be simple. And then we go through another four to six weeks of power, you know, and then we do another four to six weeks of speed and agility. Well, throughout that time, I didn't, I didn't know much about training. I just did it, right? That's what coach told me to do. So I did it. And then, uh, after I got out of high school, I went, you know, I, uh, got a basketball scholarship, went and played basketball in Kansas. And, um, throughout that trained the same way. Well, all I, all I knew was this Western style of periodization. When I started, um, diving deeper into it when I started really wanting to make fitness my career I started uh really focusing on there can't just be this style of training right Mm -hmm. now yes we went through all these other things as far as like your interval training and your you know uh you know more like what a bodybuilder does and stuff like that and even though, you know, I saw some results, it just never really made sense to me, right? So as, uh, as I started making this my primary career, I came across a guy named Louis Simmons. And if you don't know who Louis Simmons is, he is the uh, founder and owner of Westside Barbell and who many regard as the uh, grandfather of the conjugate system here in the Western Hemisphere. This thing was originated in uh, the former USSR, right? But um, <clears throat> to to break it down simply, what does conjugate mean? Conjugate means to couple or link, whether that's training systems, exercises, whatnot, okay? Conjugate system is based on increasing muscle tension three different ways, through max or heavy effort, that's your one, your threes, your fives. People who are listening to this, they understand that if they're training. Uh, repetition effort, that is anywhere from 15 plus reps all the way up to ultra, ultra high reps, 100 plus reps. Um, that is also uh, working your hypertrophy, which is muscle growth, and also building muscle endurance. Okay, But where a lot of people fail at least in my opinion, is their dynamic effort, okay? Dynamic effort is sub-maximal weight moved at maximal speed. Now, I like to break it down to people, uh, if we were going to get into a fight, okay, and I put on eight-ounce gloves and I say, here, Andy, here are these uh, uh, eight-pound gloves. You've already lost a fight. You're like, this doesn't make sense. This shit is too heavy, you know, because I'm going to be a lot faster than you. So, uh, to, to break it down just very simply, going back to high school when we were in this um, repetition, you know, this uh, phase of just lifting, right? In the beginning, and if you lifted, you probably recognize this. In the beginning, you were lifting uh, a lot of reps at a very low percentage. 
Then after a little while, uh, let's say you build up and then six weeks later, now you are going for your one rep max at a very high percentage. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning of the program, you're getting a ton of repetition effort. And towards the end of the program, you're getting some max effort. Nowhere in that program are you getting dynamic effort. It's neglected. Mm -hmm. So this, all this conjugate stuff started making sense to me. So I was like, man, we can train like this year-round because we can couple or link training exercises or metabolic pathways and energy systems. And we can have varying exercises because you can get as creative with it as you want. And you train repetition, dynamic, and max effort basically concurrently. So taking it further, what I did was I base this program, Lift Strong, Run Fast, off of recovery. Okay, what I what I saw was, man, everybody over here, they just want to lift to get the pump, right? I promise you on Monday, we can go to 24-hour fitness and get the bro session in and it'll be National <laughs> Chest and Back Day and, you know, and buys and tries and legs and shoulders. Everybody knows this routine. You know, I'm not saying anything that, that is new. Yeah. But uh, I started looking at it and I say, how can I create something that uh, will be based on recovery? So essentially in my system, right, uh, you will see a few different things. You will see conjugate throughout the month, my mesocycle, you will also see linear periodization. Okay. And uh, going further than that, i you know, I break the system down in my microcycle, which is the week, and in my microcycle, you will get 24, or you, I'm sorry, you will get 48 hours of recovery between your lower and upper workouts, and you will get at least 72 hours of recovery between your max or heavy effort workouts, and that's about the time the nervous system needs to recover from those heavy effort workouts, you know, and, um, but yeah, it's like, and, and to be honest with you, Andy, a lot of people... Um, it goes over their head until they actually experience it and yeah. they see it. I'm because, one of those people right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And once you see it and experience it, you, I promise you, you know, there was a, I think it was Albert Einstein that said, you know, if you can't explain what you do simply, you don't know it well enough. Yeah. And when people see it and they experience it and they feel it, they understand it simply. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you digging into that i know you and i could could nerd out even more just because not certainly not because i'm a, a, a fitness guy i've mm-hmm. done this for 20 some years but just because i'm curious because there's so many different ways that you can go about you know fitness or conditioning or strength or, or whatever so talk about the four principles that your system is is based, based on, on so, yeah. you, so you, you talked about the conjugate system uh, and kind of how that works together and the, mm-hmm. the three different <clears throat> types of efforts and really uh, being sure that you are getting the dynamic effort and that's kind of the, the thing that's missing in your opinion so talk about the four different principles though uh, that this is built on yeah well just touching base on what you said it, it is very true even within the conjugate system I run mine very different than Westside Barbell runs theirs. Um, And I think a lot of people get too caught up in being, um, I don't know if arrogant is the uh, right word, but, you know, I can't be so narcissistic to say mine is the best way, right? Because if the goal is at the top, people can go right, people can go left, people can go straight. 
And I tend to look at those as different ways of fitness. Sure. And, you know, you, right, you're going to be dead a lot longer than you are alive. So to sit here and argue about who has the best fitness system, like, is that the way you want to live your life, right? Life is too short to be bullshitting about that. <laughs> it's like, there's, I mean, every, pick the way you want to go and go. As long as you're doing it, I think that's awesome, yeah. you know? Yeah. But, but yeah, you know, uh, Still, bringing it back to that Eastern philosophy of, you know, the four principles is discipline, right? Recovery, balance, longevity. And I break those down even more so with, um, I try to talk about common knowledge or universal ruling. Like, discipline is my first one. Without discipline, you have nothing, okay? You can... um, You've probably heard these things like you can't out-train a bad diet and all these other, you know, silly cliches or whatnot, but that, that truly is your discipline, okay? If, uh, if you don't believe discipline is above all, okay, if you, if you have this thing called a job, try showing up late for the next five days and see if you have a, a job, right? I mean, it, it's pretty, pretty simple. The second one is recovery. Now, that's what lift strong, run fast is. It is a recovery base conditioning and strength discipline. And diving a little further into that, I tell people all great ideas are always very simple. You've probably been up late at night watching an infomercial and like, holy shit, that is so silly and simple and dumb. I could have thought of that. And, and, you know, it's a brilliant idea, right? So, you know, most people that step into the gym unknowingly will say, oh, he runs a strength and conditioning program. Mm. And all I did was kept it simple and I flipped it. It's a conditioning and strength discipline, not a strength and conditioning program. And the reason I do that is because I put conditioning first. If you just come and train, believe me, you will get stronger. But I'm not even talking about your physical conditioning. I'm talking about your mental conditioning. Because I can tell you this, inevitably, you will wake up and not want to do something. You're going to be like, I don't want to go to work. You know, I don't want to tell my wife I love her or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where you have to look at the man in the mirror, okay, and say, who am I? Am I strong enough now? That's, I truly believe the mind has to be stronger than the body. And uh, that's where that, you know, recovery-based, you know, mentality or whatnot comes in. Uh, Diving into the balance portion of it. Most people would think like, okay, wow, he runs a balance program. You train upper body, lower body, you know, left, right, front to back, side to side, whatever it is. That's absolutely not what I'm talking about. When people come into the gym, they want to, you know, obviously they want to improve. You know, people, when they come in, are asking me, Scott, help me express myself through health and fitness. That's what I do, Mm -hmm. okay? But it goes deeper into more of a philosophical state. I don't want you to be one of these people that come in and the gym is your life. You miss a lift. You go home, beat your wife. So, you know, these people are crazy, right? You And there's no definition for it, but you see it. Yeah. You know, you can feel it. You understand it when you see someone like that. Because what we do in the gym is typically one hour, two hours at the most a day, right? And then you're going to leave. You have something outside the gym walls called a life, which is very important. Most people have a significant other. They have kids. They have a mortgage. They have a father, a mother. 
what kind of son are you? What kind of husband are you? What kind of father are you? Though that is balance, right? Um, and that's really what I'm talking about when I say balance. Okay. And then longevity. What is the equation for longevity? It's consistency over intensity. If you come in tomorrow and I assess you and you say, Scott, you know, I used to be a high school athlete, you know, uh, shit happens. It's called life. And I haven't, I haven't really, uh, invested in myself. You know, I got married and started working, but now I, I want to invest time back into myself, but I haven't trained in 10 years and you come in and, uh, I say, okay, great. Let's train. Let's go six hours today. Well, it's going to work. You're probably going to wake up and you're going to hurt and be sore. And the bad thing is I don't lose that person to lift strong, run fast. I lose that person to all of fitness sure. because they went too hard, too much, too quick. Yeah, yeah. Right. At the same time, if you come in and uh, I always tell people I speak in absolutes. Okay. I absolutely know you will be sore and hate life the next day, okay? <laughs> Conversely, if you've been coming to me for a year and we still haven't seen results, I absolutely know we are doing something wrong, right? I can't tell you what time frame, but I know if you consistently come in and give good effort and consistently give good effort outside those gym walls, recovery, sleep, water, um, you know, nutrition, all the things that come about with having this thing called a healthy lifestyle, I absolutely know we will get in shape at some point in time. So that's where the, uh, you know, I, I had to step back a few years ago when, when I actually used to run the program quite differently. And we are lifting heavy. I mean, the gym used to be, you know, my gym used to be a, uh, if you were deadlifting 500 pounds, you were probably on the lower side of like the men's, wow. yeah, yeah, like scale of strength, right? Yeah. Like I remember like coming out from a shower and walking up to 500 pounds with like just shorts on and pulling it. You know, we, it was like silly things. Like I couldn't do that now because my, my mindset has completely changed. Sure. But like I said, still having a lot of those Eastern philosophies, the the master has to look down upon the pupils and say, you know, what is my goal for somebody? And um, to touch on this just a little bit, I was actually speaking to someone the other day and, I, and they asked me, they said, when people come in and talk to you about their goals, what do you say to them? And I, you know, in my mind, you know, I had said, like, I really don't care about people's goals because I know my goal for you is going to be better than your goal for yourself. And I proceeded to tell them, what is your goal? Is it to be a parent? And they kind of looked perplexed. And I said, see, my goal for you is to not be a parent, is to not be a great grandparent, is to be a great, great grandparent. And they said, well, what, what the hell does that have to do anything with fitness? Well, it's a mindset because now you have invested in yourself, right? And you're what I call able. So how many people, you know, I see this all the time. People come in, they're like, Scott, I'm so fat. I'm so tired. Like I can't even play with my kids. Yeah, you're probably, you're probably very right. You're, 
it looks like you have life's onset disease right now, you know, and uh, I'll usually do a test with them. Like I, I don't have a doctorate in health and fitness or exercise physiology, but I can tell you with absolute laser precision, if you cannot sit on a small box and stand up, you're, if not already, you're five to 10 years away from life's onset diseases because you haven't taken care of yourself. Yeah. And Getting back to the great-great-grandparent story, you know, you you have to invest in yourself. You have to, whether that's time or money or effort or anything, if you want to do anything great in life, you know, some people's goal is, uh, you know, to make a lot of money. Sure, that might be successful in some eyes, mm-hmm. but if I can make you, help you, right, be a great-great-grandparent because you took the time to lift some weights and be flexible and not have, you know, maybe, maybe a woman comes in and one of the things we talk about is, do you want osteoporosis, right? What's the best way to fight it? Well, we do weight training, Mm -hmm. right? So I know the things we do is conducive for long, you know, uh, for longevity. We want health, uh, you know, balance and, and longevity because, that will put you in that position to be able to play with your great, you know, be a great, great grandparents to be able to play with those kids. So talk about nutrition. How does this work into it? I know that um, you and I have talked a little yeah. bit about this, but uh, for those people that are saying, hey, man, think, okay, this sounds great. I, I'm, I'm on board. Okay, that balance part when it comes to, you know, I'm, I'm on my way to work, I'm on my way on my way home to work or from work, whatever. What what, what am I eating? What do I need to do yeah. to to um, have that best part of balance? So, you know, like I said, like I I have no choice but to nerd out, you know, sure. because I, I truly believe in, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I look at stuff and I look at it on such a different level because, because um, I think your nutrition has a lot has a lot to do with how you are functioning on a chemical level, mm-hmm. okay? Um, now, I can sit here and tell you, you know, information, but it's the same bullshit everybody's going to tell you. Don't eat McDonald's. Don't eat this. And, you know, as I sit here with my Starbucks coffee, which I never drink, <laughs> and literally, I think I when we started, I told you this is like Christmas in a yeah. cup right now, and it's like I feel myself, like, amped up a little bit, you know, from the caffeine. Cause I, because typically... Um, Typically, I do eat quite well, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, I'll, and I'll go over what I believe in, okay, and I'll, and I'll go over how I got there. So, if you were to come in and do my fingerprint program, I call it fingerprint because it's unique to you, mm-hmm. it is, uh, I sit down with you, I figure out everything that you do throughout the day, and we customize it to you. What is it based off, though, Okay same thing going through life seeing what has worked for me what has worked for everybody and what i believe in is is um low carb high fat low sugar now some people are going to hear this and be like oh he's a fucking keto weirdo but it's not see i i put in raw foods i put in fruit you know and i still tell you to cheat so that automatically kicks you out of ketosis so i'm not a uh keto monkey okay <laughs> but um you know i i think eating well is common sense is also i believe in i believe in fasting i'm a huge believer in fasting 
that is the most underused weapon we have against fat loss, weight loss there is. If if more people would fast, you would see longevity in life. You would see decline in disease. I mean, there's just so many benefits to fasting. But I got to be frank. People, when it comes to fasting, they look at it as the F word. They are completely, you know, to be politically correct, jokingly stupid when it comes to the matter. Most people, when you tell them to fast, they're like, Oh, gosh, dude, I'm going to starve. I'm going to starve to death. I'm like, starving is the involuntary aspect. You don't know when you're going to get your next meal. Right. That's starving. I've seen starving. When I lived in all these other places in the world, right? Um, fasting is very voluntary. You, if, you, if you're hungry, you eat. No one in America is starving. Right. I mean, I heard one girl years ago give this thing and I and I knew the gym she was training at, but she said, oh, I'm, I'm very malnourished. And I'm thinking to myself, there's this famous picture. I think National Geographic had it where the kid is basically uh, squatting on the ground, sitting on the ground. And his body has been blown up because no food and the buzzard is looking at eating him. <laughs> Versus, you know, that is malnourished at the, at the most extreme level, right? But if you're living in America, who the hell is malnourished, you know? And, and getting into that, I'll talk about that more when we talk about travel and all that stuff. But I, it's, it's hard for me to be sympathetic with idiocracy sometimes, sure. right? So, so talk a little bit about fasting. What type of fasting do you do? Mm-hmm. I, I know one of the one of the big, uh, I, don't, I don't want to say fat, but like uh, trends right now is intermittent, intermittent fasting. fasting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So talk about some some of the things that you have done, or what you've seen successful, or what mm-hmm. you do personally. So, um, you know, most most people don't even realize they do intermittent fast every single day, right? When they sleep, whether it's three hours or whether it's twelve hours, whatever, um, they are fasting. Mm-hmm. So. Depends how deep you want to go with it, right? If you're talking about people that are doing things like uh, Ramadan, they're not even taking in food or water, right? right? right. I, I don't tend to recommend that on a you know day-to-day basis because uh, you know I, I uh, do fluid intake. And what I believe in a, let's say we're doing a 12-hour fast, mm-hmm. okay? So last meal is at 8 p.m. at night. You don't eat till 8 the next morning. That's your 12-hour fast. That means you are taking in no form of uh, protein, you know, um, nutrients, you know, macronutrients or micronutrients at any point in time. Um, You can take in water, you know, if you if you want to do this thing called a fat fast, maybe you take in uh, black coffee with uh, coconut oil or butter. You've heard this thing like bulletproof coffee is super, you know, I'm not one of those. I have to have all the little hazelnuts and bullshit and everything else in my coffee to enjoy it, right? I've never drank a, a cup of hot coffee in my life. Really? You know, yeah, never. And it's like, um, and there's all types of different fasts. Like, you know, you can they can allow bone broth or whatnot. But, uh, you know, the one thing that you're probably talking about that has gotten a lot of popularity is like a 16-hour fast. Mm-hmm. You know, last meal is at 8 p.m. at night. They don't eat till 12, yep. lunch. And uh, then you have this eight-hour uh, window feeding period, a lot of different beliefs on that. Some people are like, eat whatever the hell you want, you know. Um, 
that's that's really not what I believe in. You know, I tell people, uh, don't eat. And when you do eat, don't eat bullshit, right? And it's like, that's very simple. And, um, you know, uh, same thing, eating a lot of raw foods, you know, because the raw food is alive. So when you put it in you, you got your, you know, this food is alive in you. And it's like, it's so healthy on a, um, on all levels, mm-hmm. right? One of the things I started fasting for is, um, you know, people, people always ask me, how do you look so young? You know? <laughs> and I'm like, well, first and foremost, the, the first thing you have to do to look young is pick your parents wisely. <laughs> right. And it's like, so obviously being that's Asian, the key right there. yeah, that's the key. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yes, besides genetic, right. The genetic factor, um, what you put in your body and how you expose your body is very important. Yeah. Right. Um, I, uh, one of the reasons I started fasting is, you know, to get into this thing called autophagy and all, uh, autophagy is, is basically like bad cells or good cells eating bad cells, you know? And and look, if you ask me, Scott, can you break it down on the scientific level? I'm like, look, I have no idea how to explain all that stuff. I just, I, I can tell you this on the simplistic level. If I fast for, um, if I, if I do like a water fast, Basically, it's just water. Mm-hmm. And I go for two to three days. Mm-hmm. I feel amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one, you know, one of the experts that I can, uh, that I listen to and who I can turn you to, and I have most of his books, is uh, Dr. Jason Fung. And he's a nephrologist out of Canada, which is just, I mean, destroying type 2 diabetes, basically with nutrition, mm-hmm. with fasting, with mm-hmm. no medicine. And, you know, he talks about how, you know, you, you, you have to cure what is the, the actual problem, not just put a bandaid on it, you know? So if you just keep giving more insulin to somebody, you know, it's, it's just masking it. It's not actually taking care of the root problem. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, if, if anybody is, uh, you know, whoever's listening to this and they want to really think about losing weight, I mean, fasting is... That's that's the secret, you know. Yeah. The secret is out. <laughs> All right, so to to nerd out a little bit, if Scott Wells is having dinner tonight, mm-hmm. right, your ideal dinner. What what are you, what are you what are you having? Uh, I mean, typically, if I'm you know on my game and I'm eating well, it's probably going to be um, uh, like a chicken breast, um, broccoli, some. You know, I don't eat much, honestly, man. Like, that's probably my dinner. Yeah. Like, if I'm on it, that's really my dinner. Yeah. Yeah. But believe me, I can go off the rails also. And getting, <laughs> like I was telling you, you know, getting back to that whole aspect of how does a healthy person think? To me, I used to be one of those people like, okay, I cannot get off my game. If I'm going to go to my friend's wedding and they got cake and they got all this other bullshit, I can't eat it. I'm going to eat, stay streak. I'm not even eating. And I was like that guy, right? Sure. But then my perspective had to really change because, you know, even with the traveling and just understanding with, you know, I talk about humility a lot and sometimes the best lessons are only learned in time. And now I believe, let's say you and your wife want to take a a trip to Singapore, okay? And y'all are pretty healthy individuals, but you get there and you're like, okay, well, I can't eat this uh, chow kway tao because it's, uh, it's too many carbs, but you've never ate it in your life, right? 
you go to Singapore, which is one of the most, you know, the culinary experience of the world, mm -hmm. right? And you stay on your diet. See, to me, that's an eating disorder. Mm. Because what a healthy person can do is go enjoy the sights, the sounds, the culture, the food, right? And when they come back, they can say, man, I had fun. I tried that stuff. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's time to get back on my routine, mm -hmm. okay? And I know we talked about routine, mm -hmm. you know, uh, some. So my, my typical routine, you know, from the time I wake up, you know, is... Uh, First and foremost, for the past like God, 20 years, seems like 17 years at least, I've woke up at 4 a.m. in the morning. Okay. Uh, you know, what I've been doing lately is when I wake up, the first thing I do, I go, I go pee, and then I come back in, I take my weight. Uh, I'm actually trying to lose more weight, you know, because uh, gravity is not your friend as you age, right? <laughs> I don't know. You can't just keep getting bit fatter or bigger. And, um, the first thing I do in the morning here lately is I do like a four-minute Tabata. What's that? Uh, tabata is just a, it, it is a type of exercise. Uh, I forgot the, it was a Japanese researcher that, uh, his last name was Tabata. I forgot his first name, but essentially um, it's a way to train your anaerobic and your aerobic pathway at the same time where you, it's uh, four minutes, 20 seconds of exercise, 10 seconds of rest, repeated for four minutes. And, um, you know, it, it, in, in studies, clinical studies, it showed to have, uh, just as good or better effect than, you know, just steady state cardio. So, uh, so I start my day with a four minute Tabata in the morning, whether that's, you know, 20 seconds of squats, rest, repeated for four minutes, uh, sit-ups, burpees, whatever it is, because to me, what that truly does Remember, I, I told you I look at things from a chemical standpoint, and we can talk about that here in a, in a second. That right there sets your cortisol levels, okay? That's why I'm a big believer in training in the morning because, you know, it sets your cortisol level uh, for the day. More importantly, it sets your dopamine level. Let's talk about that. Talk about what cortisol does for you. Talk mm -hmm. about what dopamine does for yeah, you. Yeah, so... Cortisol is just your, um, basically, it is your stress hormone, you know, stress, you know, hormone. Uh, dopamine is like your accomplishment or completion, you know, sense of accomplishment hormone. That's the simple way to put it. So what I tell people is, you know, cortisol has to be in your system, out of your system very quickly. And when it's not, it becomes very infectious, okay? And I'll give you an example Let's say you let's say you have a single mom. A single mom wakes up, has to get the kids to school. They don't want to wake up. Mm -hmm. That's a little bit of cortisol in her system. She's like, "Please wake up. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go." You know. They finally wake up. She's having to make breakfast, do make lunches, do this, do that. Uh, and one of the kids misses the bus. More cortisol, right? Well, because he misses the bus, she has to drive him to school. She has to get ready. She didn't get to eat, you know, more cortisol. She finally drops him off at school. She's driving to work, has to sit in this horrible-ass Houston traffic, right, more cortisol. Mm -hmm. As she's getting the, as she's driving to work, she completely forgot that she had to have this 
presentation. She left it at the house. She knows she's going to be in trouble. She hates her work, right? Hates her coworkers, hates her boss, more cortisol. Finally gets to work. She hasn't even got to work yet. She's already stressed out, yeah, right? Yeah. Finally gets to work. Asks, hey, did you have that presentation ready? No, I forgot it. Well, damn, you're going to have to work past lunch. Still hasn't ate, mm-hmm. right? So lunch comes, still hasn't ate. Life still sucks. Same shitty coworkers, same shitty boss. More cortisol. Finally gets it done. Now she has, you know, let's, let's just fast forward. Now you are driving home. Same shitty traffic, right? <laughs> More cortisol. Let's say she does happen to get to the gym. Okay, we'll play devil's advocate. Well, most of the time, you're paying now $10. And we'll talk about this equation, okay, where paying $10 a gym makes you look worse, right? Invest, And uh, we'll talk about that later. Remind me. All right, all right. But she got to the gym. So the, she just, for the 10 bucks, that just gets you through the door, right? All the machines are taken. She has to become, now become the trainer, She's already single mom, working, doing all this stuff, right? Now she has to become the trainer. And the workout is, let's, let's just say she did relieve some stress. Great. She finally got some, some out, out of all the stressors. Now she has a little bit of dopamine. But then she goes home, has to cook dinner for the kids, help them with homework. You know, this, this lady can't even take her own makeup off to get to bed. And she's so tired, Right. By the time she gets to eat, she hasn't ate all fucking day. Mm-hmm. By the time she gets to eat, what does she do? She overeats. Mm-hmm. And what happens when you overeat? You have this spike in insulin. Well, what happens after the spike? The crash. Mm-hmm. Most people are living in these peaks and valleys, not for like weeks at a time. They come into me, they're like, Scott, I haven't done anything for 30 years. And I've been eating like shit for 30 years. They're living in these peaks and valleys for 30 years. Their metabolism... Is shot. Their endocrine system doesn't know what the hell is going on. Okay, so, so I mean, hey, and and look, lightning strike me now. If I'm not telling you an average everyday life of of a single mother, sure, right? Every single mother listening right now, right, is like, bro, how do you know, <laughs> right? And it's like I'm telling you, man. So. And, and here's the funny part about that. It's infectious, right? You start getting bags under your eyes. Remember, I told you, on an on, on a, uh, antioxidant level, you, 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 it's terrible. You start getting gray hair. I don't even have to finish the sentence. Misery loves... Company. Right? Yeah. You already know the statement. But here, on, and like I say, conversely, when... Let's say somebody who does train in the morning gets, gets things done. They have the discipline, right? You come in. Well, let's back up and first talk about what is dopamine. Dopamine is your sens- sense of accomplishment, right, or completion. Let's say, uh, like, you know, we have a, a list of things to do, and you complete all those things. You mark everyone off. You feel great, right? Damn, I got everything done. Man, I feel awesome. And um, let's say... Uh, Somebody comes in, they complete a workout. What happens? Man, they feel amazing. So that's the biggest difference is like when you have this little slow nuance of cortisol in your system every single day. Remember, it needs to be in your system, be out of your system. It's your fight or flight. Mm -hmm. When you have this little shit in your system every day, slowly throughout the day, that's when it's terrible, Mm -hmm. right? 
But with dopamine, that's why all drug-based addictions are dopamine-based addictions. Why would somebody use the verb feel? Man, I do cocaine because it makes me feel good. You know, I, I don't know that personally, but right, it's like, but when somebody completes a workout and they've come for a week straight and did everything on the through right proportions of water, sleep, nutrition, hey, how do you feel? Bro, I feel freaking amazing. Like, I haven't felt like this in 30 years. Yeah. Well, no shit. You started caring about what you do, right? And that's why on a chemical level, it's so important. Because most people on a chemical level, they are so far gone, right? They they don't even know the simplicity of why they need why they need to feel good, why they need to do activity, why they need to eat right. You know, there's, there's, um, I, I explained this in three different ways. Okay. There's three di th different types of people. There's people who love what they do, but probably don't make a living doing it. Right. You've heard this term starving artist, mm -hmm. right. And they're the happiest people. It doesn't matter. And we've seen these people make beautiful art and they're like living in the streets mm -hmm. and, but they love what they do. You actually, most people have actually probably actually uh, envy the freedom they have. Mm. The second type of person is someone who wants to do what they love, but they can't, so they settle for a paycheck, mm -hmm. okay? And then the third person is someone that loves what they do and they make a living doing it. You know, I truly feel I'm in that third realm. Where do you think most people are? Usually in the second one. In the second yeah. one, right? Yeah. And... That's where most of cortisol resides. Yeah. You know, I had watched this thing where, and I forgot uh, who, because I, I, I always like to credit things that I hear, and I just don't know where I heard this, but it's it, it was just an amazing analogy where, you know, from the time you're born to the time you're around 15 to 18 years old, what is that? That's your childhood, right? And uh, by the time you turn 65 to the time you die, what is that? Retirement. I don't believe in retirement, but you know, we, we understand what that is. And the time in between there, what do we call that? Life, right? Most of the time when you were born until your childhood years, it's, it's pretty good. You know, for a lot of people, it's pretty good. Man, I remember my childhood. I remember my first kiss. I remember when I could ride a bike. I, uh, you know, remember the first time I hit a home run, it, it was, it was good, right? Mo for most people, I'm not going to say everybody's, but for most people, it was good. What do you, and then, uh, what do you do whenever retirement comes? You're like, I can't wait to retire. I'm going to go do everything, check off my bucket list. I'm going to travel. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But then in the middle, you have this 50 years or so called life, and, and are people living to die or dying to live, mm. right? So you have this like 50 years where uh, for a lot of people, they're working their ass off for people they hate. They, they never chase their dreams. And, and that's, like I said, that portion right there, that, that dictates like how, the retirement will be to in, me, to my, in my opinion right 
that dictates the longevity of what you're going to do. Because like I said, you will be dead a lot longer than you will be alive. So in that 50 years, you better do what you want to do or, you know, get busy doing it now. Yeah. All right. So I want to, uh, I want to back up a little bit. Uh, certainly it's not going to be, you know, linear of, of, of where mm-hmm. we go in terms of um, uh, topics, but I do want to talk a little bit about, I mean, you, you kind of mentioned this, but you're, you are from Singapore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you originally, you're born there, uh, but then you migrated, you know, with your family, you guys moved to, yeah. moved to the U S. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit about, about your journey and, and, Definitely. How how you got from how you came from from Singapore? You spent some time in New York, and now you're here in the Woodlands. Talk a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, it, and, you know, I'm not one of these uh, fresh off the boat Asians, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, I uh, as we had spoke earlier, you know, um, I I'm I was born in Singapore, and um, to Oriental and Occidental mom and dad, mm-hmm. right? My father is from Bowie, Texas. Blonde hair, crystal blue eyes. We look just alike. (laughs) And, um, you know, there's a joke whenever people will come in, they give me, they're like, Scott, there's some white guy looking for you in the gym. I'm like, oh, it's my dad. (laughs) But, um, but yeah, so my my mother's Singaporean. I was born there. Uh, Extremely proud to be Singaporean and um, extremely proud to be. I would say like multicultural mix, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent time in Singapore. My uh, my father was in the oil business, you know, at a very lucrative time. Um, he did very well. You know, we uh, came here uh, when I was like six years, five or six years old. Um, I still remember a lot of my childhood in Singapore. Mm-hmm. Um you know, to give you like the Cliff Notes version, we uh, we came here when I was like five or six. But from five or six years old all the way up until I was like in the fifth grade, you know, we still traveled a lot. Mm-hmm. By the time when, when I was born to when I was five, I traveled a lot. Mm-hmm. I had three 24-page passports stamped out by the time I was five years old. That's incredible. And... Even by the time I got here, traveling back and forth to to Singapore and just all over the world, really, with my um, with my dad and my mom. But um, yeah, it, it was. Uh, I would say, you know, all that traveling has made me um, have the the perspective on the world that I have today. Yeah. Even at a young age, it still influenced me a lot. But um, yeah, like. What what else do you think you'd want to know about that traveling from back and forth? Is like uh, anything in particular? I mean, well, yeah, I know you and I have have kind of discussed this, and and Elizabeth and I, and anyone who've listened to the podcast, mm-hmm. they you know they know that Elizabeth and I were not originally from Texas. Yeah, you know we you know moved here for opportunities and it's kept us here. And we think that that is there's nothing wrong with mm-hmm. people staying in the place that they were born and whatever. Yeah. As, as long as they're they're happy and living their life, you know, you know, be that as it may. But I also think that there's a lot of different perspectives, and you can see the world as as a big world, but a, yeah. but as a small world because you may, many times are open to meeting new people, experiencing new cultures, 
you, you kind of mentioned yeah. earlier, trying you know new foods. And be like, hey man, that's great. I tried it. I'm cool with it now. Yeah. Like, at least I, you know, at least I tried it. So, and I know that you, had, you know, in your adult life as well, have yeah. traveled quite a bit. You still travel definitely because you you want to kind of continue that. You have four kids that you you know, want to you know have them experience yeah yeah, yeah. whatever. So, tell yeah, talk a little bit about your you know living here but not being originally yeah. here, but then wanting to continue to travel and experience. So yeah, cultures. I'll uh, I'll start by saying this. You know, and people have heard me say this time and time again. Traveling teaches you something you can never learn in a book, mm-hmm. and. Um, Man, it's just the experiences, you know, uh, now when I travel back, I, I like to joke and say, uh, when I go back home, I'm a foreigner in my own country. Yeah. Because obviously, you know, I am mixed, but they can tell I'm not um, full-blooded, true Singaporean. Um, and then when I come back here, I'm a foreigner in my own country, because you can tell <laughs> I'm not, you know, a typical white guy from Bowie, Texas, right? <laughs> and uh, But um, but yeah, you know, I, I've got, I would say the privilege to be able to travel so much and learn from so many different cultures, um, you know, traveling, you know, I have all these little cliche things I, I say, but traveling, you know, it's, it's, it's the only thing that you purchase that makes you richer. Mm. Right. And, um, you had said something, you had, t- you had said something just now that when I, this last time, not this last time, but about close to a year ago, I took my daughter on a three week backpacking tour through Asia. So, uh, my daughter is getting the experience of a lifetime, not just from me, but from her mother, because her mother is originally from South Africa. And, you know, I, that can be a whole nother thing when I was living in South Africa in Cape Town, one of the most uh, amazing exper- uh, experiences and places in the world. But, you know, it is very important that I uh, get my kids to understand the importance of travel also. And, you know, someone like my daughter, Havanjali has traveled. I mean, she's camelback across Africa. She's sand surfed the Namibian sand dunes. I mean, just traveled all over abroad, even in the country, which is amazing. And um, when she went with me to this uh, three-week tour, we went through, uh, we went to Singapore. We went to um, Thailand and Bangkok and Phuket. We went to Hong Kong and then back to Singapore. But, um, I'll give you a brief story. This is this is amazing. As uh, we're we're in Singapore, walking down Orchard Road, which is a super popular road. It's um, it's uh, in Singapore where all the brand names and all this and that are. I mean, Singapore is quickly becoming the uh, new uh, New Zealand, or what was it like? Yeah, where all the billionaires of the world are going. You know, okay. and um, so anyhow. Uh, we're walking down the road, and she she asked me this same question about traveling. I said, Havanjali, if you were to drill a hole from Houston to, you know, just straight underneath everything and end up on the other side of the world, it would probably come out somewhere around Singapore, right? So it's literally on the other side of the world. Mm-hmm. So most people, there's two types of people, and they look at it this way, in my opinion. Some people look at Singapore is so far away. I'll never get to go there. It's halfway across the world. If you ask me how long the flight is, it's a, it's 24 hours to get there. And people are like, holy shit, how can you be on a plane that long? Like, but that's, that's one mindset. Mm-hmm. The other mindset is with the advance in technology and traveling, you can get to halfway across the world in 24 hours. Yeah. How amazing is that? Yeah. Right. And getting back to, we're walking down the street and now I'm telling her, 
people who think of the look at the world that first way is um they look at the world as a very big place and as we're walking i said that you know the second way is kind of like me we've traveled a lot and we look at the world as a very small place and uh she said well what do you mean i said well that means like you'll travel somewhere and you'll see someone and no bullshit we walk about 30 feet in i on orchard road in singapore someone goes Hey, Scott, and I'm looking around, and this guy comes up to me, uh, his name's Vidal, he's an Italian guy that I had met in San Diego when I was out there with David Weck and Steve Cotter, and uh, years later, he's like, man, I noticed your tattoos and all that stuff, and I told my daughter, I said, you see what I'm talking about? <laughs> and the last time I was in Singapore, the last time I was in Singapore, this was just a few months ago. Same place, walking on Orchard Road, cross the street, saw this guy with a beard. Noticed him, but I just kept walking. Walked about another 20 feet, someone grabs me on my shoulder. Turn around, it's the guy with the beard. And I'm like, uh, do we know each other? And he says, take, uh, take the beard away. And I'm like, holy shit, Adam, what's going on? And this guy had trained with me for like years. He was the one of the original guys that was, you know, training out of my garage with me back in the day and uh you know connected with him and you know he he's been gone for about six years six or seven years and uh he you know doing his thing in in asia he's living over there living the life man like backpacking it has a phenomenal job him and his girlfriend and uh right from right there we went in a lunch kept in touch i came back here a month later he shows up at my doorstep uh, to the gym yeah. is like, Hey, we're here. You know, I got a job back here now. So <laughs> it's just the connections you make, man. I'm yeah. telling you, I have so many of them, yeah. you know, uh, four years ago, I was at the Nike, um, the Nike fitness show in, in Shanghai. And, uh, from Shanghai, I went to the Thai expo, which is the, basically the Thai show, Thai fitness show. And, uh, so I went to Taiwan and on the flight, I met this guy, um, that, he was a, a Panamanian guy and spoke like perfect Chinese, right? I'm just a very, a, a brilliant young, young man. And, um, his name's Gerardo. And, uh, we kept in touch, literally met this guy once. When I was on the trip with Havanjali, we were going to Hong Kong and he lives there now. And I meet up with him and Havanjali's like, how long have you known these people? I was like, I literally met him once in Taiwan mm -hmm. And she's like, it's like y'all are best friends. Yeah. And I think that's what, you know, when you talk to people who travel a lot, they understand like worldwide camaraderie of mm -hmm. just understanding, you know, meeting people. And there's so many people like that. I can, I could name off so many, yeah. but just to understand that aspect of traveling. And I think, um, you know, I'll speak a little bit more on it. I think traveling, it is, um, <sighs> How do you say it? It is probably the empathy engine, I would say. Because, mm. you know, people always ask me, Scott, you travel all over. Like, why and what is the best thing about traveling? And there's really two answers to it. Traveling shows you how beautiful the world is, mm -hmm. right? It also shows you how cruel the world is. Mm. 
And when you see those cruel things, you don't sleep the same at night. I appreciate you you sharing that. That's that's amazing. That's an amazing perspective uh, for sharing that. Um, so I want to. Uh, so you mentioned your your daughter's name, Habanjali. Yeah. And you and I spoke about this, and you have um, really amazing. Uh, you're you're very purposeful. You have a reason behind mm-hmm. everything. It seems like definitely. And, and your kids' names are I can't even pronounce them. And I, and <laughs> Most I, people can't. And I've read them, and I know that you've told me their names, and 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 there's a story behind each one of your children's names. Definitely. Uh, and it certainly is based in where you come from, and in where uh, where their where their mother comes from. Yep. So talk a little bit about the your your kids' names and and the mm. meaning behind that, and kind of how you guys how you came up with their name. So um. So my, my firstborn daughter, Havanjali, uh, first let me explain, you know, when I was coming up with the children's names, what this mindset was. So in, in the Asian culture, the number eight is uh, auspicious, very, um, very lucky, right? It's this kind of a superstitious, superstitious type thing, but, um, you know, brings luck, prosperity, wealth, health, all that stuff. So the letter H is the eighth letter in the alphabet, and all my children have eight letters in their name, and they all have a Chinese middle name. Mm -hmm. So my firstborn, my daughter, which is 14 now, her name is Havanjali, and H-A-V-A-N-G-L-I. She, um, and honestly, I just made that name up. Yeah. So what I always tell her is that you have a name so divine that it can't be defined. <laughs> At least that's what I like to say, <laughs> right? That's awesome. I love it. And my, uh, my second child is my son, Harong, H-W-O-A-R-A-N-G. And he's 12 now. But Harong has a very, um, in, especially in Korea, the name is quite popular, mm. Harong. But, um, you know, it has several different meanings, like uh, in in one meaning, like in, you know, Asian-esque, I would say, it is a, um, it means like a, when the baby is born, he comes into the world as a baby through life lessons, becomes a young man, mm-hmm. you know, through more life lessons, becomes a man. Uh, and then, you know, at the ultimate of life lessons, he becomes the old wise man. And when he dies, he leaves this world as an old wise man. Mm-hmm. And more so of the Chinese definition of it is uh, a blossoming flower. As you can see how through life lessons they blossom, right? And then, you know, you have your full beauty and then you exit. Yeah. But, uh, and then through, um, you know, and and their mother is uh, from South Africa. And that's Melanie. I met her when I was in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And my other two children, their mother is Nicole. And she's a half Colombian, half Cuban. So mm-hmm. I, you know, on top of that, I have very ethnic children yeah, <laughs> as yeah. well. You know, I can, um, I'm very, I would say blessed to have beautiful, beautiful children. Yeah. You know, everybody jokes around and says, uh, oh yeah, good thing you talk to beautiful girls or whatever. But I said, look, I am the common denominator in this equation. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so my, my, uh, uh, son, uh, my third child, his name is Hamakai, H-E-I-M-A-K-A-I, and um, he's four. But um, in in the in Mandarin, 
Hay means dark. Ma is horse. He's born in the year of the horse. Mm. And Kai means victorious. So it's kind of like a, um, kind of like a, what would you call it? Like a paradox maybe of like the dark horse victorious, right? And my little, uh, my, my, my little daughter, she just turned two. Havana, she's H-A-V-A-N-N-A-H. Uh, like I told you, her, her mother is um, part Cuban, and she always wanted a little girl with, from, you know, to name her, like, the uh, capital of Cuba, Havana. Yeah. But um, we just had to change the spelling a little bit, right, <laughs> to to accommodate. So it was good, you know. Yeah. But um, she is my little, yeah, bundle of joy. Both, both of my girls are um, Year of the Monkey. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm a big believer in the Chinese zodiac also. Okay, like yeah. If you I'm a I'm horse as well. So if you were to read my uh Chinese zodiac, you would probably think it is speaking specifically about me. <laughs> it's 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 pretty you know, on point. So Habanjali, Harong, Hamakai, and Havana. Havana, All yeah. Right. I nailed it. Yeah, you got it. I'll have two more if I could. Yeah, oh, <laughs> we'll that's <see>. awesome. <laughs> nice. I'll have to come up with some more names, though. So something that uh, just recently occurred in your life, and kind of on the a little bit in the same vein of, of being a parent, and, mm-hmm. and um, I mean, you and I have talked, and a little bit of it's you know a lot of what your story is and and your perspective is like kind of like like coming of age and, and what you mean yeah is like definitely and, and learning and continuing to grow and like trying to be the best version of yourself mm-hmm. and something that um, you just you just did and a good mutual friend of ours. Terry Weaver yeah. uh, was was involved in that, and he you know basically was the was the was the guy. I don't know, what, what's the what's the term? I guess him the, him and David Pham like David uh, Pham. they they actually uh, baptized me. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah. So um, you know Terry was yeah one of the main people that did mm-hmm. it. So yeah so you uh, I mean you know, you said you're you just turned forty about to yeah. turn forty uh, at the time of recording. Uh, you chose to to be baptized. Mm-hmm. And, you know you mentioned before we started recording that it was just this amazing life you know, life altering, definitely like inexplainable essentially. So talk about, you know, your, the, the, your decision Uh at this stage in your life to be baptized kind of, you know, why, why now? And then, you know, what it means kind of going forward. Definitely. How has it changed you? Well, starting like from the beginning, I would, I wouldn't say I was, I was never a, uh, just, a pure non-believer. Mm-hmm. I would say I had a lot of questions, sure. you know. Um, and for the longest time, I grew up, you know, my uh, my grandfather, which I didn't know too well, was a Baptist preacher. You know, we still have his Bible, like hundred over 100 plus years old. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, when I grew up, it was very much on the uh, more of an Asian side, okay. you know. And uh, I would say I grew up m- much more Buddhist than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in a, in a sense, I honestly feel there's part of me that is like that still like with the, you know, there, there's really, you know, a a religion I feel cannot like define you. It's your, uh, relationship, right? You see what I'm saying? So it's, uh, cause I mean, you know, not to sound pessimistic, but religion is man-made and, you know, but your relationship with, what you believe in and who you believe in, that's, I'll never down someone's, you know, if, if, 
if you believe in something else other than I do, you know, then, then all power to you, you know, we're not going to down you and, uh, try to convert you or any of this kind of stuff, you know, I can only speak about my journey and why it was important to me. And, um, you know, my, is it, I, I have to back up and I talk about a guy named, uh, David Summerlin. He was a preacher. Okay. And he's just one of the people that has come in, many people that have come into my life that have stuck by me, you know, I mean, through thick and thin, there's another guy, Chris Cornelius. I mean, Terry, David came into my life. I mean, you know, I think the the words I used was God was sending me angels, mm-hmm. right? But one time I was in, you know, I was going through some, uh, through some marital problems and, and, uh, just relationship issues and I was sitting in my, uh, in my driveway and I was like, man, I, I'm, I'm going through it. I, it like sucks. Right. And I'm like thinking, should I get out, go in, should I not? And I was like, maybe I'll call, you know, David said, you can call me anytime. I picked up my phone. I said, maybe I'll call David. Just talk it out. It's late. I mean, it's late, man. It's like 12 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I said, look, I'm not going to wake this guy up. And I put my phone down. I am not bullshitting you when I tell you, as soon as I put the phone down, I get a text from David. Hey, man, just wanted to see if you're okay. And okay. I was like, oh, okay, what? whatever, right? I was like, whatever, I don't. Next day, so this this man, David, he trains with me at 5 a.m. Very next day, he's there at 5 a.m. with his family. I said, David, the craziest thing happened last night. I was about to call you, and, you know, I decided not to. You know, I said, then you text me. I said, what a coincidence. And I'll never forget his words. He says, Scott, that's not a coincidence. That's God working. Yeah. And at the time, I was just like, okay, yeah, you know, like whatever. You know, blew it off. He stuck, you know, I mean, still stuck by me throughout. I mean, he's, he's still by my side, right? Um, I had, I had, you know, not learned from my previous mistakes, you know, and seemingly was about to probably make the same mistakes and I would say uh the way I I use it is God had to get my attention somehow right and like I said after sending me all these angels and giving me chances giving me chances you know I wasn't seeing that it's kind of like the um you've probably heard this old joke of the man is on the uh, roof of his house and the water's coming up, you know, the floods are coming mm-hmm. and uh, the people say, Junk, Hey, get on the boat. You're, you're going to die if you stay. And he's like, no, God will take care of me. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, I'll speed up the joke, but the last rescuer comes and the water's like to his, you know, feet. They're like, Hey, he's, they're in a chopper. Right. And they're like, throw the ladder down. They're like, you need to get on or you are going to die. And he goes, God will take care of me. Go on. Water rises, kills the man. So he goes up to heaven and he looks at God. He says, what the hell, man? I believed in you my whole <laughs> life. He goes, I thought you would, were going to save me. And he goes, I sent you a boat and a chopper, dummy. You didn't take care of it, right? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It's like, so I, I didn't want to go up there, right? Yeah, yeah. And even though I might have been here physically, I would have been dead spiritually. And, um, so I said, man, you know, let me go to this place, a church project. And 
I went there because I saw some of the other members that were going. Um, it was funny, this, uh, you know, David Pham, I mean, this guy is like a brother to me, you know. But um, I started, you know, just got the biggest, warmest welcome when I came. Mm-hmm. And I started going, and I remember Lindsay Munson, which is David's daughter, she's like, Scott, I got to show you something. And she said, look at the date on this, right? And this thing was from like a year or something ago, right? She said, at my house church, we were asked to pray for three people. She goes, I want you to see this. I was like the number one person on the list, right? And she goes, you're here. You know, God is speaking. And why, you know, why is it that on my, everybody talks about your 40th birthday has to be the most awesome birthday, right? You have to bring it in and all this kind of stuff, right? On my birthday, my 40th birthday, is it that it just happened to fall on a Sunday? Was it coincidence or is God working? Yeah. You see? And like the month before, I cannot tell you the most... I mean, just the most amazing change and experience that was taking place. And I started looking back on the last 40 years. And like I said, it sounds cliche, but it was all in God's plan. And to experience that, how would I bring in my 40th birthday? What better way than to give yourself to Christ? Yeah. And I cannot, like, explain. It's, if if you would have told me that stuff, you know, prior, and you were like, man, Scott, I got, you know, I got baptized. It was amazing. Like, I never experienced it, so I wouldn't know. So, like I said, if I were to go tell someone that hasn't been that, that did not experience what I have experienced, it was, uh, I mean, and I tell this story to people because it's probably the most profound experience I had. I was, somebody came into the gym, you know, my kids were there playing around. They were talking to me about the gym. Um, and then we had walked outside because I, I was showing them around. And towards the end of the conversation, you know, my kids are out there, uh, everyone's out there. And, you know, I had taken, this is like, 15 minutes later, still talking to this person about changing their life. And they looked me right in the eye and they said, can I ask you something? And I said, yeah, just whatever, what, what's going on? And I'm thinking they're going to ask me a fitness question. You know, you know, how do you eat? What do you do? <laughs> right. They said, what is it like to be happy? And it took me by surprise because I'm like, you know, what is this person going through in their life? And what are they seeing right now yeah, yeah. to ask me a question like that? And immediately the only thing I could think of, you know, was when you are walking beside God and God is walking beside you, you illuminate. And I, I, I'm telling you, after I got baptized, like a month later, I'd be in a different town. Mm. I'd be walking in a store and people would grab me and say, hey. You were that guy that got, I mean, obviously they probably noticed the tattoos or whatever, <laughs> but to be in a completely different town yeah. and what kind of outreach is that, right? Yeah. You see what kind of like, yeah. 
I mean, I mean, obviously we have social media and stuff now and people, you know, it, it literally was my greatest post ever. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it, it, uh, it, uh, what, what's the term crash the internet or whatever the hell they say, you know, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, you know, uh, down to, you know, me and you were talking about this. I was writing words, you know, they, they had asked me to write some stuff up and had a very, uh, great video that the guys at 31 films did for me and they kind of chopped that up and put my words over it and then the words that I wrote David Pham had read them and to just be that I was on a completely different level and I think and I joke around and I tell you like if I was on that level all the time I would be on the New York Times 10 best-selling list you know every time but those were all my own words and they were just you know amazing and uh, at least that is my experience, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's all about, it is relationship based. I mean, it, yeah. it is, it really is. Um, that, that just reminds me when you said that I just like shook my head. Yes. And completely and totally agreed with you. Um, it just uh, a, a little digression when Elizabeth and I first started dating. So this is almost more than 10 years ago yeah. at this point. Um, <clears throat> You know, you ask the normal questions and, you know, hey, what's your favorite color, your favorite food, you yeah. know, that stuff, whatever. Um, but at that time, uh, uh, you have this thing on Facebook, your religion or whatever. Yeah. And um, she said, it's not your religion, it's your relationship. Mm-hmm. And I'd never heard someone say it that way. And and, and certainly you and I had not mm-hmm. ever had this conversation before about religion and, and, and relationship or whatever. And when you said that, I was like, oh, my God. Dude, you are so right because her and I had that same conversation about yeah, well, like what do you mean by that? Um, and so you know, she grew up Catholic and still is Catholic. We yeah. were married in Catholic church. I grew up Lutheran. You know, so I mean, we're both believers. We're both you know Christians at this point. But we have a lot of friends and we know a lot of people and we've spent time and you know, dinners and networked and everything. Just had a great opportunity to meet a lot of different people, a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different religious beliefs, and we even have quite a few of our friends that were even in our wedding yeah. uh, that were, you know, bridesmaids and you know, groomsmen or whatever that are really, they're non-believers. And, yeah. and we can all have that conversation. We can all, okay, so why are you a non-believer? And they'll ask us, well, why are you a believer? Yeah. You know? uh, and so when you say, yeah, it is, it's, it's, it's not always your relationship or it's, I'm sorry, it's not always your, your religion, it's your relationship. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. That's, oh yeah. That's an amazing perspective to have. And some people just, like I said, right, life is too short to be, arguing about politics and religion like do you and that's where I feel the um before you know I always say you know I I'm a big believer in humanity you know and um if 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 we have to if we have to explain what the right thing is to do I have inevitably failed you as a human being Mm. you know Mm. and look I mean there's probably there's probably people that, you know, one of the things you brought up was lessons learned in time, you know, uh, and I always say it's a, um, I had to learn humility, mm-hmm. you know, because when I was young, I was, you know, I thought I knew it all. And, you know, uh, you, you have to have humility and, you know, what they say about humility is, uh, people with humility don't think less of themselves. They think of themselves less. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those, uh, lessons that that I now know, I would probably have to go back and 
apologize to a lot of people for failing them as a human being, mm. you know, but, uh, but now taking a different, taking a different approach, I feel, um, and when I say taking a different approach, it's the way I think of things, you know, anywhere from health and fitness, you know, that's one of the things I talk about health and fitness is that I didn't know what I was, what I've always done since five years old, you know, would mature into something that earns me a living now, mm-hmm. you know, we always talk about success, right? What is success? I don't know. I mean, there's, um, I have my definition, you know, well, let's, let's talk about that because that, that actually is one of mm-hmm. uh, the questions that we like to ask all of our guests because, Part of part of the reason that we started this podcast is because we we love to sit down. We, we mm-hmm. want to sit down with people that are doing their own thing, that are successful, that are happy. But everyone's definition of success and everyone's definition of happiness is, mm-hmm. is different. And it and it, it, it kind of going back to the relationship uh, topic. You know, people can have millions, billions of dollars in the bank and can can be the feel like the most unsuccessful. They can be the most unhappy people in the world. Vice versa. Kind of what you, what you mentioned, the starving artists on the street corner yeah. have no money in the bank, could be up to their eyeballs and debt, you know, who knows, whatever, but they're doing what they love and every single day they wake up like, dude, I'm happy, man. I love yeah. You know? So talk about that. Yeah. So, what is your you know, I always success? start off, um, so I'll start off this by asking you a question. What do you think I do every day when I wake up? Well, you just talked about it, so yeah. I think I have some inside information. Yeah, you would think, okay, well, I wake up and I do my little tabak. Yeah. But I tell people the real answer is I live. And nice. remember the analogy we talked about with the uh, woman who is stressed out, mm-hmm. driving to work, the single mom. Yeah. You know, most people would say that woman is, is she's dying every day. And to explain living to someone who is dying, mm-hmm. it's very hard. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because... What I do every day is I wake up and I live. I've, when I got into um, this business, I said, I'm going to make myself so good at what I do that people can't deny me. People can't deny me at all that I'm not good. Mm-hmm. It, it has blossomed into... Um, a phenomenal business where Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, I work two hours in the morning, two hours at night. Uh, Friday, I work two hours in the morning, one hour at night. I do not work Wednesday, Saturday, or Sunday. Mm-hmm. I really do not know many people. I do not, I, and I can tell you this, I don't know anybody personally that has that schedule. And what that, what does that allow me to do? anything really. Mm-hmm. It allows me to most importantly spend time with my family, my kids, um, learn, you know, um, to me it's, I tell people I'm the most successful person I know and it has nothing to do with money. Mm-hmm. You know, you might look at success as diamond rings and fancy things. And, uh, I, you know, I, I don't see that as see that as success, you know, or you're accumulating things, right? And you you can't take those things to the grave with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people look at, 
you know, some people might look at that as uh, success. You know, some people look at having a couple kids and raising them to do the right thing as successful. I, I'm, I'm with them in that boat, you know. Um, now we all, you know, and I don't want to sit here and be the biggest bullshitter on earth. We all have to understand money, right? Yeah. You know, do you understand money or do you understand that your understanding of money is everything? There's two different thoughts, right? And, um, you know, I, I, I absolutely love what I do. You know, I can't, I, I, I honestly feel I was put on this earth to help others. You know, uh, when I open those doors at 5 a.m. in the morning, it's not to help myself, it's to help others. Mm -hmm. And um, I think if you were to ask, you know, my answer now, what is success is transparency. You know, being absolutely transparent, um, being able, being able to be uh, vulnerable, you know, and like if you if you ask me like, hey, is everything going well for you? Am, am I giving you the social media answer or am I giving you the real answer? Yeah. Because for someone to to sit here and uh, you know bullshit you, it's it's very easy, right? I, I talk about there's a new type of depression, and it comes with a smile on your face. Because that's what you see people post is that like social media life. Yeah. You know, when behind closed doors. Look, and I've been a victim of it. Yeah. I yeah. 100% been a victim of it. Yep. You know, but behind closed doors, you're having, you know, problems with your wife, uh, you know, dealing with addiction, whatever it is. And I think we all have our problems. And, you know, I, even for myself, I've been an admitted steroid user for, you know, nine years and... If you were to ask me now, I'd be like, don't ever do that stuff in your life, you know. Mm-hmm. But that was a period in my life that I'm, um, you know, most people say, oh, I'm not proud of that. But I am proud of it because I wouldn't change it. Yeah. it. It taught me what I should be doing and where I should be. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, <clears throat> being successful is a um, part of that equation is being a failure to me. You have to fail, you know. If if every idea I had was awesome, you know, I'd I'd be I'd be traveling right now, right? But um but it's not. And um you know what believe me, as an entrepreneur, I I'm thinking of stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, does it work? No. You know, Lift Strong Run Fast was accumulated was my ten thousandth idea, right? Nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine ideas had failed Mm -hmm. you know out of those one was good right and I stuck with it and uh but but yeah you know I um that that's to me that's success you know success uh you know me having these tattoos you know I, I remember getting these and I've always wanted tattoos and um I always wanted them to mean something but I also wanted to show people you know I that they don't have to look like jail or jailhouse tattoos. Um, they don't, you know, tattoos now are a lot more accepted, but I wanted to show people yeah. you can have a tremendous amount of tattoos and still be very successful, you know, go and own your own business. I mean, you know, I, I joke around and say, what if, uh, if I get in trouble, is my boss going to fire me? 
Like, no, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, you know, I go into white America, Chick-fil-A, yeah. and I have these moms that say, like, can my kids see your tattoo? You know, it's like, because they know I didn't get this in like San Quentin or something, you know, sure, like yeah. maximum facility prison or something. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's, um, the thing I've invested in, invested a lot into them. Yeah. So, so talk a little bit about them. Uh, if there's, I, I know that there's stories behind mm-hmm. pretty much all of them, uh, pick out two Just or three couple. to talk about. Obviously, you know, listeners are yeah. able to see that, but I, but I mean, I think you're, you're pretty well documented on, on social media yeah. and if you check out your website. I mean, they'll be able to see, you know, yeah. of, of well, first of all, I, uh, you can't see it now cause I have my hair grown out, but I am tattooed from my head to my butt, you know, um, I used to joke around and people would get like a full sleeve, right? And it's yeah. like a big deal. And this is me kind of being a, yeah. uh, an asshole, but I said, Oh, that's, and I'd show my <laughs> neck, my head, my hands. And I'm like, Oh, that's cute. You know? <laughs> but it's like, because tr- in, in my opinion, there, you know, it, in the, uh, f- first and foremost, I do have to give a plug to Juan Cabrera at Super Chongo's tattoo studio here in the Woodlands, Texas, because he has tattooed me for close to 20 years. And the same, same guy just does phenomenal, amazing work. Um, if I was going to give you a piece of advice about getting a tattoo, because people are like, what should I do on my first tattoo? Do not take the deal. Oh, I got a good deal on this tattoo. When I hear that, I'm like, (laughs) you know, what? You got a deal? Like, look, this is going to be on you for life. Put money. I probably have close to 40 grand, over 40 grand on my body. Holy cow. Right? I mean, this is like 150 bucks an hour type stuff, right? This isn't like... Friday the thirteenth tattoo or whatever <laughs> we spoke about that earlier, but yeah, if you're gonna get a tattoo, go see Juan Cabrera at Super Chongos. But so just to talk about um, a couple of them, mm-hmm. okay? Um, you know the uh, uh, so much of this stuff has meaning to me in my life in the form of like yin and yang, yeah. right? You always see the dragon and the phoenix the tiger and the crane you know uh even with like the food dogs uh where you know the the female one is yin and the male one is yang Mm -hmm. so a lot of it is just balancing balancing out you know um believing in things like spiritually like um the way they are positioned you know i have things watching my front and watching my back okay you know more like a, I guess you would say feng shui-ish, sure. right? You know, <laughs> protectiveness. But um, it's just, like I said, um, it definitely has, you know, like the koi fish, those are prosperity and good luck and wealth and health, right? Um, you know, your dragon is strength. Your, uh, you know, I have a, on my neck, I have a swallow, which means um, loyalty. Mm-hmm. You know, the, uh, um, I got a couple birds right here on my forearm which you know signify me and my girlfriend where uh i'm my favorite color is the green her favorite color is the yellow uh you know the horse on the back of this it represents you know uh year of the horse so mm-hmm. i kind of keep this for hamakai the i have this guy named wukong on my right side and he's the monkey king but my kids are a year two of my daughters are year of the monkey you know, the food dog on the inside of my arm. It's like, you know, my son, Harong, is year of the dog. So um, 
all those things, you know, it's like, at least it, it, in my mind, right, it tells a story for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it, it's incredibly personal because, it, I mean, the, the tattoos are on no one yeah. else, right? And no one no one else has to wake up every single day and, and look at them. And so, mm-hmm. if it's, if, yeah, if it means something to you, yeah, that's, you know. I still want to get my stomach tattooed. I just have to uh, <laughs> um, almost, you know, learn how to uh, get permission now and ask for permission rather than ask for forgiveness, right? <laughs> sure. But uh, I definitely want to get my stomach tattooed. I'm just kind of figuring out what I want to do. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, like my personal journey with this is just, like I said, it's, um, and it's not just one shot. Mm -hmm. I mean, my hands, they were in Texas ink or whatever. Uh, but they, um, my hands have been done three times and, you know, back in the day I would sit down with Juan. Obviously I have a very good relationship with him when you're there that much, you know, a few years ago I went every Friday, I went every Friday for like a year straight, you know, and, uh, obviously we develop a relationship, but, um, you know, just, it wasn't just one, you know, like, like I said, for example, my hands, they they haven't just been done once. I have like over 30 hours just on my hands, you know, and they're painful for sure. You know, people always come up to me. They're like, holy shit, was all that painful? You know? I said, man, I can sit in the chair and um, I can sit in the chair and take the pain. The most painful part is handing over that money. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. To, to talk about that, so I, you know, I don't, I don't have any tattoos. Uh huh. Obviously. You want to go get one tonight? My friends. No, no. I'm, <laughs> I'm, get my name on. I think you. that uh, that ship sailed. <laughs> but yeah, talk about. It. I mean, you. So you have. I mean, you have, you have your hair grown out right now. But yeah. I think the first time, like you and I briefly met um, at a Vell. Yeah, like a keynote you know, about a year or so ago. Yeah, kind of had you had your head shaved at that. Yeah, point, you at that saw point. some of it. Yeah, so talk about um, probably yeah, like what was your most painful experience? Like just you know physically uh-huh. painful. Uh, but then talk about getting it on your head. I, I can't imagine that. You know, and I don't know maybe. Yeah, was, but I can't imagine that you know you're sitting there like no, this feels good. Let's take let's massage. Oh, like, oh my well, god, I feel like you're you know drilling in my brain. So, <laughs> you know, and I, you know, people will. Uh, like listening to this, I'm going to tell you this story. And it's like, so, you know, people probably don't even know this about me. But um, so when you go take, you're trying to take the edge off, right? So, uh, and believe me, I am not the uh, one to tell you, like, if you smoke weed, if you do whatever, uh, it's wrong of you. I, I don't say any of that stuff, right? Because um, I can tell you this, that day, I went to get my head tattooed. I smoked a little bit, and um, but I'd smoked this stuff called dab, and I don't know if you know what dab is or not. You know, it is a, a tiny. It's basically, from my understanding, pure THC. Mm. So I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll smoke a little bit of this to take the edge off. You know, I'm already putting like, you know, I have nothing to prove, right? I, I I'm putting um, uh, cream on to to put numbness, and I'm taking. Tramadol and Flexoril to like painkiller and to relax. I mean, I'm sitting there for like 10 to 16 hours tattooing. People are like, you know, after three hours, they're like, okay, whatever. You know, I remember we had on my rooster on my side, we had sat there for like 16 hours tattooing this rooster. And Juan was like, okay, we're going to call it. And I'm like, what? I was like, I can keep going. And Juan was like, dude, 
it's been 16 hours, you know, like I'm fucking sleepy. (laughs) So I'm, and and then I realized like, oh, I got all this shit on me. But so the head, right, I'm sitting there and I won't say who I'm smoking with, but they know. And I was, and they give me like this tiny little thing, right? And I'm like, come on. And they're smoking this stuff. It's bigger. So they're like, dude, just do it. And so I smoked this stuff and I'm sitting there in Juan's chair, just like, I I mean, I don't even know where I'm at. Mm -hmm. And it has the adverse effect. I feel the needle like going. So the gun, right? It's like, you know, and it feels like the gun is punching the needle. Boom. Into my head and coming out. And, And it, and this process that's going on in and out takes about three seconds, right? So I'm sitting there and I'm like blazed out of my mind. And I'm, uh, I remember I was, I was like, I couldn't even drive home. They wouldn't drop me off. And I came back and, uh, I was just like, man, what happened? I was messed up for like three days, but I can remember, I remember after getting it done, it felt like it, it felt like you just got through cooking two big pancakes and putting them on my head. I mean, yeah, you know, in the you're tattooing into the dang skull, right? I mean, after after like two or three hours, you and I was there for like a long time. After two or three hours, you go into like concussion protocol. Yeah, Holy you know. Cow. But um, but yeah, you know, I thought <laughs> it's it's just a little funny story where I was like trying to take the edge off, but just had the most adverse effect ever, yeah. and it just was like, I mean. <laughs> Talk about the longest five hours getting or whatever tattooed on the head. I was just like, man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. All right. So I want to um, start to kind of wrap up a little bit. I want to be mindful of your time. Mm. But I do want to, for for listeners, a lot of our listeners are their business owners and entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And they're they're always looking for, okay, you know, how did this guy get started? What, you know, what did he do? What, you know. We know that he's successful, and we've heard about some of his successes. How did he get started out? Yeah. So I know a little bit about your story. Tell tell the listeners, you know, um, started out. How he got started. Yeah, started out uh, at a gym at, at, uh, called Equinox. And then yeah. um, I know here in the Woodlands, you were at 24-Hour Fitness. And then ultimately, mm-hmm. I mean, you ended up starting, you know, now you started your own gym. Talk a little bit about that that evolution over time of, you know, you starting out um, as a trainer and, yeah. then, and then becoming an entrepreneur. Well, yeah, it's like, and it's funny, you're probably one of the few, very few people that actually know about Equinox up in New York. And, um, you know, I've been training, uh, man, I've been training here and there. Actually, when I was in South Africa in Cape Town, I trained with a guy named Winston Chong and and, uh, Quentin Chong, and they were um, uh, world Muay Thai champions and super fight champions. But, you know, before, even before that, like I said, I've been athletic my whole life. And uh, I remember getting into the restaurant business, but still working out. And where it kind of started was like, man, I think it'd be really cool to be a trainer, Mm -hmm. you know. And if you were to ask me that now, I don't think it'd be really cool to be a trainer now, (laughs) you know. Like, I wouldn't give the same advice uh, now as I did then, yeah. but it was really cool to be a trainer. So at the time, um, I had moved back here from South Africa, you know, I was married and, uh, my wife, Melanie at the time, she had a, um, 
job opportunity up in New York. I mean, in Newark, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So, uh, make a long story short, I went up, uh, got hired at Equinox, and that was very short lived because we got she got transferred back to Houston. Mm-hmm. Well. When we got back to Houston, got back in the restaurant industry, we owned a couple restaurants on the underground of Houston. Like I said, I was still working out, morning routine type thing. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I had some friends in the fitness industry. And I remember going up to 24-Hour Fitness uh, here in the Woodlands by the mall and figuring out what I needed to do, right, to become a trainer. Well, I mean, at the time, I was so serious about it, like, you know, getting into the industry, I went and got all my, uh, NASM, the National Academy of Sports Medicine certifications. Mm-hmm. I, I went in as like a level three, because like I said, I was hustling, just learning all this stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I was really grateful for, uh, being at 24 hour fitness, you know, and, um, I'd met some really good people there in particular, a guy named Sean Glowacki. And, uh, I still, I still look to him as, you know, a, a great leader, mm-hmm. you know, um, and he, he's still in the fitness industry. And, uh, anyhow, I was, I was at, uh, 24 for about a year and a half. Okay. Well, towards the end, uh, I always tell people I got, uh, I, I always tell people I quit 24, but I actually got fired and same thing back then I was very narcissistic and, you know, just, I don't know. I, I thought I knew it all. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they came in and they said, they, I remember them calling me in and the, the guy was just super, super overweight. You know, this is probably a guy that I need to apologize to for being a bad human being. But, uh, they, they told me that I was stealing company time. And I said, how do y'all figure, what are you talking about? So anyhow, um, you know, we'd had all these different fitness managers and all of us telling us, tell all of them telling us different things. Mm-hmm. So make a long story short, you know, this guy was like, you're doing this. I said, and you know, I told him, I said, dude, do you ever work out? You know, like, do you, like, how did you get hired here? And you know, I'm talking shit and everything else. And they told me to get the hell out. So my story is very similar to Jerry Maguire's. I stood up and I did my Jerry Maguire. I said, okay, well, fuck it. Who's leaving with me, right? And there was a handful of people that believed in me. And they left and they went to my garage with me. And we were killing it, man. You know, um, we're, I mean, all I have now is a bigger garage, you know. And, I mean, before I forget, like in the beginning, you know, if, if you're talking to me like now where I'm at now, I would tell you in the beginning, I didn't know any other way. Mm-hmm. Now I won't have it any other way. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I was at my house. People believed in me. I was building it up. I went to an MMA gym. You know, uh, we did a, they wanted me to come on and uh, we did for three months. We did a handshake agreement, okay, mm-hmm. which to me is ironclad mm-hmm. because as a man, <laughs> the only thing you have is your word. Yeah. My handshake and my word is stronger than my signature on any paper. And after one month, things were confusing and got funny. After two months, things were confusing and got funny. They saw that a lot of their people were coming to me for their conditioning and stuff. Because it's open air, open format, people can see that my people are working hard. Yeah. And I'm getting them results. 
And the agreement was for like 500 bucks a month for a tiny little space, yeah. smaller than this room. But guess what? You, you, you put me out in, you know, BFE with a rock, we're going to get results. Yeah. Right. So, uh, on the third month they, they raised it to 1500. So I said, okay, I see what y'all are doing and I'll just leave. Right. So third month I left, I went back to my house and I started what I call the full commercial equipment line of what I was doing before I just had a little bit of equipment. And my goal then was to get the HOA, the homeowners association to write me letters. And, uh, by now this snowball effect is coming along, right? And I'm training all kinds of people. Now I'm building my clients up. The irony of it is most of my clients came from St. James, the strip club. <laughs> it's And this is funny. You got to listen to this. I have a good friend, Daniel Fielder. He'd show up about three hours before his times, right? To help out, you know, uh, go figure. And, you know, you would come up and we, at the time we we're living in an entry level neighborhood, like first time homeowners, yeah, right? Yeah. And you pull up to my house and there's like a Mercedes on like, you know, 22 inch wheels, a range. I mean, I'm talking about there's, there's probably close to half a million dollars of vehicles in my car, in my driveway. And these girls are showing up short shorts, wearing barely anything at all. And they're dragging the tire down the street. And like every guy is in their garage, drinking a beer, watching this (laughs) stuff go on. Right. But, uh, so listen to this, this stuff. So now I've built up to like, 33, 35 people training out of my garage. And I go check my mail. I get this note and it's from the HOA, right? And it says, basically says like, what are you doing? You cannot be running a business out of your, out of your garage. And I was so happy to read that. I had achieved my goal, right? I mean, that was like dopamine central, right? (laughs) And I was so excited. I wish I would have kept that letter and, you know, the, uh, and framed it. I, I really do. It's like, um, not to get off subject, but I have a ton of certifications, all this shit, this and that. And when I go show people, you know, the certificate, I don't even have them on the wall anymore. But I remember when I, when I show people my certifications, I say, this is the one I'm the most proud of. And it says physical fitness award. And they're like, okay, who cares? Yeah. And I said, read past what it says and look at the date. And it says 1989. People are like, holy shit, that was a long time ago. At least for me, right? It's like, yeah. I mean, and uh, that lets you know I'm just not some joker that went and got a two-day cert and said, okay, I can do this, you know? Because, right. you know, um, we, we've, I've definitely put my work in, yeah. you know, and continue to. But getting back to the story where <clears throat> now I knew I could not afford not to get a place. Mm-hmm. I couldn't afford not to get a place. So I got this place over off of uh, 45 feet of road. They've tore it down now, but it was like 1,800 square feet. And dude, we are killing it out of there. I've, you know, I that's when I came on with CrossFit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I uh, I joined CrossFit. Uh, most people think I don't like CrossFit because, uh, you know, I, I I actually was sued by the Armstrong Foundation and uh, CrossFit at one point in time. If we can talk about that later, but, um, you know, we settled out of court or whatever, but anyhow, uh, I joined CrossFit. I was the third one in this area. There was, uh, Carlos at CrossFit Houston. I believe he was first. 
Matt Munson at CrossFit Champions, and then myself. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, we're killing it, right? And I would say a part of how I had to do it and success was a lot of luck, mm. right? Right market conditions, being in the right place, the right time. You know, you'll hear that saying about when luck meets opportunity, as I said, whatever the hell they say, right? And it's like, sure, all that stuff came into play. I worked hard, yeah. you know. Um, I remember sl- sleeping on the floor at the gym and thinking to myself, like, you know, you, you just got to do it, you know. I, I And like I said, the passion for it back then is very different than the passion for it now mm-hmm. just because of being at different times in your life. But anyhow, um, I built that to like 150 members and rent was coming up, okay. And uh, uh, not rent, but the lease was coming up. And this is how I know God was working in my life, even though I didn't know at that time. Mm-hmm. When I used to work at 24, there's a lady named Gail Moran that uh, – it was, it's funny, Gail has a very interesting attitude, right? If she, you'll know if she doesn't like you, let's say that. And, uh, but she seemed to like me for some reason. And uh, she, um, she came in to my gym, and she had her niece with her. She's like, oh, I want you to meet my niece and train her, and I see that you're doing well, blah, blah, blah. And when we were at 24-Hour Fitness, I remember her telling me if she – she said, when you leave this place – Come find me, and I will have a space for you. Mm-hmm. So this is like two and a half years later. She walks in, and I said, Gail, remember what I told you at 24, or what you told me at 24? And she said, yeah, are you ready? I said, well, lease is coming up. I'd like to see my options. Do you have a place? And she was actually, she told me where to go, and it's in the place I am now. Mm-hmm. Well, I went over there. And uh, I looked at her place, another place. She had built like this awesome business park, right? And all of them were a little bit expensive. And um, I said, Gail, what about this place where you're officing out of? And she said, well, let me run the numbers and we'll we'll uh, get back to you. Yeah. Well, the numbers were good. It was a it was a big investment, but it definitely has paid off because that place has doubled in proper property value. Um, and that's where I tell people, like, are you a gym owner? Because I'm not a gym owner. Mm-hmm. I'm a McDonald's and a franchise. I mean, I'm a, I'm a McDonald's and a Starbucks owner. Mm-hmm. And those, those places don't sell hamburgers and they don't sell coffee. They are buying property, mm-hmm. right? They, they, are, they are investment companies. Like, you know, and I, that's what has allowed me to run the business the way I have. Because I don't have overhead. I don't, you know, I don't. I'm probably one of the few people that Dave Ramsey is not speaking to in America. You know, I have hardly any debt. And, you know, I can run my business a certain way. I can I can have, you know, there's a point in time where I had almost 300 members making phenomenal money. Mm-hmm. I don't have that anymore, you know, but I can still have 120 members and be awesome, yeah. you know. Uh, and we will build it back up this year to, like, like I said, because of the transparency, yeah. you know, um, there's a lot of foolishness going on in the fitness industry right now. And, uh, not just right now, it always has been right. But, um, but yeah, so Gail showed me that place. I got into that place where, where I'm at now. I've been there for the past 11 years, going on 11 years. And, um, it's, it's went through its ups and downs, but that's what, that's what entrepreneurship is. And that's what a business is. 
it, I mean, success is not linear, right? Yeah. I wish I could explain to people results in the fitness industry are not linear. Yeah. I mean, if it is, we'd all have, we'd be on the mountain of gold with all our money and everything else. But, you know, I'm a big believer and we're all born equally, right? And the same, but it's what we do afterwards that separates us. Well, you mentioned before, it was about taking advantage of the opportunities mm. in front of you. And that's absolutely, and and I think that's kind of the foundational thing is if you think that we're all born equally, and, and I and I agree with you. I think everyone is born with the ability to seize opportunities, and if they do, and what yeah. they do with them. Well, I can tell you this: like, I cannot sit here and bullshit you and say I have a rags to riches story. Yeah. I'm I'm the most spoiled kid. I was the most spoiled kid growing up. My father was in the oil business at a very affluent time. Um, I lived overseas. I had maids. I had drivers. And over here, when I say that, people don't really understand that. But over there, it's pretty common, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I I never needed or wanted for anything. But, uh, you know, my mother has always taught me to be a gentleman has always taught me to, and look, I, I, same thing. I can't sit here and, and BS you and say, I've always been a gentleman, sure. but it's like, I was taught that for sure. Um, she's always taught me, uh, humility, even in those lessons that I didn't see they were teaching me when I was younger. Um, and she's always taught me the value of a dollar. Yeah. You know, I come from a place where if, you know, my mom has always said, if, if you're, if you can't afford the jewelry, in the store, why the hell even go in and look at it? You know I mean? But it makes sense, you know, it's, and, um, you know, getting back to you, to the root of the question is that taking advantage of the opportunities placed in front of you. I can't, I can't explain it any better than to tell a story about when I first met Louis Simmons. Okay. I was, I was, uh, I had just bought this particular machine called the reverse hyper. Okay, it works your posterior chain. People listening that understand fitness, they know what it is. Um, but I just purchased this, and I'm still very green right now, right? When when somebody tells you, like, you can put 10 years in to be an expert, they've never, they've never, they're talking from, like, a beginner's perspective. They're not talking from a 40-year perspective, mm-hmm. And I was fortunate enough to get a lot of those 30 and 40 year perspective. I was lucky. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I also strive to talk to those people because I told myself I had to have 10 years to be able to put, just put my foot in the door to be able to say, Hey, this is, I'm Scott Wells. Uh, you know, if you like what I have to say, just for them to say like, okay, well you, at least you put in the time, you know, you can come in the door. Sure. sure. Don't say shit. <laughs> Keep your mouth shut. Don't just come in the door, right? And when when I I remember like and this was just like four years ago. So now I've been in the fitness industry close to like I don't know thirteen years or something. And I'm at I'm in Shanghai with Steve Cotter, you know, which is kind of like you know him and Pavel I consider like the godfathers of kettlebells in the Western Hemisphere. Um, and people are actually listening to me, mm-hmm. right? 
And that's the thing. In the beginning, Live Strong Run Fast, nobody really knew what it was. Now it doesn't need an introduction anymore, Mm -hmm. right? It was simply because we had to put the time in Mm -hmm. to get recognized. And, um, but... Like I said, getting back to the story, I called up Louis or I called up Westside Barbell. I get on the phone. This is Thursday, okay? Thursday. I get on the phone. I said, "Hey, um, I'd like to speak to somebody about the glute ham raise. I mean, sorry, not the glute ham raise, the uh, reverse hyper." And um, from there, he starts talking to me about it, and uh, he said, "Yeah, what do you want to know?" At the time, I didn't know it was Louis on the phone. And, um, I start talking about it. I said, yeah, well, you know, I'm, I know if you position your feet different, it works different things, blah, blah, blah. And I started talking more about some different things. And he goes, where have you learned this stuff? And I started naming off some of the books that I've read, um, ranging anywhere from track and field to, uh, super training, the great Mel Sif, you know, we lost him years ago, but just a brilliant mind in fitness. And, um, he said, those are a lot of the same books I've read. He goes, I like what you, you have to say. He goes, look, West Side Barbell is a invitation-only gym. He goes, if you're ever in Columbus, Ohio, feel free to stop by. Mm-hmm. Well, at the time, a buddy of mine, Dylan Glickman, was going to Ohio State. When we got off the phone, I got on and I booked the flight. It was snowing. It was crazy. Monday morning, I'm I'm waiting in I'm in Columbus, Ohio, in front of I had Dylan drop me off at Westside, and I'm freezing balls because it's like snowing. <laughs> I you know, and this excursion pulls up and this guy jumps out, walking up to the door. He goes, "Can I help you?" I said, "Louis, that's uh, Scott uh, Wells from Lift Strong Run Fast. I spoke to you last week on the phone." He's like, "Get your ass inside. It's cold," <laughs> you know, and he. In that conversation right there, right, uh, that we had just briefly, you you could have had 10 years of schooling. Mm-hmm. I promise you I learned more in that five minutes than, you know, from a legend. Mm-hmm. And he, he told me, he goes, hey, you know, after you were done, I looked at your web, or after we talked, I actually looked at your website, and you're using the conjugate method in a very different way. He goes, tell me about your your, your method. So I said, okay, well, you know, uh, it works off mainly the micro cycle, but um, in our mini micro, our daily planning, what we do is uh, our Monday is our dynamic or repetition lower body day. Uh, We follow it up with some repetition work. We do uh, some auxiliary ancillary work and we end with a Metcon. Um, You know, my, my Tuesday is a max or heavy effort day. And I started, he goes, stop right there. He goes, i I can uh, tell you that you know what you're talking about. I said, do you want to hear the rest? <laughs> He's like, no. He goes, I know you know what you're talking about. Yeah. He goes, if if I would have asked you, explain what you do, and you said, huh, or like, what do you mean? I would have told you to get the fuck out. Yeah. Because same thing. If you can't explain what you do simply, you don't know it well enough. Yeah. And um, that was uh, coming from someone like him. It, it was awesome. You know, it was it was just great to hear and. I've had so many great coaches that have, you know, from Tim Soares, Gail Hatch, you know, Coach Ma that's, you know, over, does all the Chinese-style weightlifting. I mean, just really, really good coaching influences. I mean, I used to I used to drive up, because where my dad's from, the very next town is Wichita Falls. <clears throat> and 
I used to go up there with Mark Ripito all the time. Mm -hmm. And people, and most people don't know this, but when I started learning Olympic weightlifting was back in the day when Glenn Penlay was at, uh, in Wichita Falls, I was learning how to Olympic lift out of, uh, coach Penlay's living room. And it was like, yeah, that's how, you know, it's like, I mean, you, you see these people now and they're, um, Sometimes it's, I, I understand the journey that I took to get to where I'm at, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm going to continue to do that, yeah. you know, and in the video, I talk about how the goal has always been to change the world through health and fitness. And, uh, I remember meeting Greg Glassman, which is the, um, founder and CEO of CrossFit. Mm -hmm. And like I said, most people think I have this, uh, hate for CrossFit. I don't. You know, I'm actually very proud to be part of that movement that started that movement. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember him asking me, you know, because I was at I was at the original Santa Cruz CrossFit in California. And, um, you know, when he taught the certifications back in the day, they had just opened Santa Cruz North. And I remember speaking with him because at the time I had did like a really fast like Fran time. And, you know, if you ask me now, like, if you what have is a, the, What is the Fran? Fran is like, it was, like I said, I'm speaking like 10 plus years ago, yeah. okay? If you can still do it now, you're pretty good. But it's like, uh, Fran is just a workout. Like, CrossFit has all these, like, workouts that were girls' names or whatnot. And it's um, 21 thrusters, 21 pull-ups, thrusters where you're basically have the bar racked in a front squat position. Mm -hmm. You squat all the way down as you're standing up. You do an overhead press. So you do 21 of those, 21 pull-ups, 15, 15, 9, 9. And my best time doing that was like 2.15, which is probably less than like half a percent in the world could do that, yeah. you know, at my best, sure, right? Sure. You to ask me to do it now, I'll, I'll tell you to go to hell. But it's like, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but because my philosophies have changed sure, also, right? Sure. But at the time, I remember him talking to me and he said, what do you want to do with this certification? And the same answer I give you now is the same one I gave back then. I said, I want to change the world through health and fitness. Mm -hmm. And I joke around and I say, ah, he, you know, they've done a phenomenal job with CrossFit. I said, it, he beat me to it. <laughs> but here's the kicker now. Like I remember I've been telling you this whole time, some lessons are only learned with time. Yeah. Now I understand that that isn't a one-man job. You're going to need more Greg Glassmans, mm -hmm. more Scott Wells, more Sean Glowackies, more XYZs mm -hmm. to help people. Because as we speak right now, right, we, we don't have to, uh, it doesn't take a rocket science to, it doesn't take rocket science to go to the local store or the local restaurant and see people are people are a disease. Okay. Um, they have what, what I call a, uh, just, they are metabolically distressed and you see so much of that in society now. And, um, it's funny, like this equation that we've had for so many years of eat less, move more. Mm. If that was so good, why hasn't it worked? Mm. Here's the other thing. Remember earlier I said, remind me of something. We're going to talk about it, about the $10 a month. So, you know, 
on what universe, we're not just talking about Earth. If you believe in aliens, flat Earth, whatever <laughs> fuck you believe in, I don't care. You tell me anywhere in the damn universe that this equation works where you pay $10 a month and you walk in and a year later, $120 out, right? You look worse than when you walked in. Because the thing is, if you start shopping for price, you are putting your health and your fitness in debt. You're, you know, because that's the thing. How you, it just doesn't make sense. But people are fooled into it, right? Because, you know, like I said, politically correct people are stupid. And it's like, you, you know, take, I, I have a joke I say. If you want to get in shape in America, go commit a crime and go to prison. Right? Because what do they do in prison? They take away your free will. When the lights come on, you got to wake up. When the lights go out, you got to go to sleep. They got to, you got to eat what they tell you to eat, right? Same thing. Don't, don't ask me how I know this. I just know. <laughs> it's like, but, but essentially, you know, I don't know how to change the oil in my car. I take it to the professional. Yeah. You know, the most baffling thing I see is like sometimes I'll go to, to the store and I see two, overweight women looking at each other or overweight men, right? Whatever. We got to be all gender neutral bullshit now. And, uh, you, they're looking at this, this box of hydroxy cut or whatever. And they're like, do you think this works? I'm like, why wouldn't you just walk up to someone who just at least remotely looks like they're in shape and say, what do you do yeah. to get like this? Right? Because I know for me, I, if that person were to come in, and they truly needed help but couldn't afford my services, I would help that person. Yeah. We would come to an agreement and we would help that person. You know, now on the other side of that, you know, now I'm starting to speak a little bit my, about my personal opinions. You know, there's people who come in and they clearly, you know, are not struggling, right? And then they'll tell you like, Look, I'm struggling. I gotta have. Uh, I I've got to. Um, can you give me a break on dues or something? I would rather you look me in the eye and say, you know what, Scott, I'm making some really stupid ass decisions and it's messing me up financially. Could you help me out? Mm -hmm. But you're not struggling. You don't need to be struggling because what what happens is people don't prioritize what is important, right? And you know, something is. Uh, Simple as their their uh, nutrition, right? Instead of buying new Lulu pants and new, you know, shoes which can run you anywhere from a hundred to two hundred dollars, right? Why don't you go make the right decision and spend that on food mm -hmm. or or something, right? Yeah. Spend that on a gym membership, yeah. you know. But. Like I said, if you do not invest in yourself, if you do not have skin in the game, I 100% believe, 100% believe you will not take it seriously. Yeah. You know, time, money, something. You have to have skin in the game. I love it. I think it's a good place to stop. Uh, I really do appreciate you sharing your story. Uh, this is, um, man, this is, this is chock full of, of great stuff. For our listeners... Your website, uh, Instagram, mm -hmm. Facebook, where can people check you out online? Uh, on Online, so www.liftstrongrunfast.com. Um, I have my Instagram, uh, which is 
I don't know, just put in Scott Wells or Livestrong. <laughs> like, like I said, this stuff, I try to stay off this stuff because it's bullshit, right? But it's like as a business owner, we have to have it. And yeah. then uh, my Facebook is Scott Wells and the uh, the business one is Livestrong Run Fast. But okay. yeah, like I said, the uh, I would much rather get a phone call like 281-229-0663 and say, hey, I heard the podcast. I think you can help. Great. Let's set up a no sweat consultation and let's get you in and get you moving forward. Right. Like all this nonsense of, um, I don't know. I, I personally like, you know, there's no such thing as, uh, too much human interaction. Sure. Right. I, I would like to meet you, shake your hand, look you in the eye and say, you're about to change your life. Yeah. I definitely can attest to that. I know you and I had met kind of in passing. Yeah. Uh, and then we had an opportunity, you know, a week or so ago to sit down and talk. And, man, it's just been, like, it, it's just mushrooming. Yeah. 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 Scott, I really appreciate you joining the podcast. This I definitely appreciate the opportunity. And, you know, thank you for having me. Hey, guys. Thank you for listening. One more thing before you go. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can find more episodes in our archives at eversoncooper.com slash podcast. You can also find all past episodes on iTunes, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. Please don't forget to send us a review and a rating. We are not trying to feed our ego. Just ratings and reviews help us reach more listeners that could benefit from what our guests have shared. And our guests then benefit more uh, from being on the podcast. So rate and review us on iTunes, podcast app, and all those other platforms I mentioned. Speaking of platforms, we would love it if you shared the Everson Cooper podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever social media you use. Lastly, if you want to receive a fresh new Everson Cooper podcast episode every Wednesday, be sure to subscribe and you will get the latest episode sent right to you automatically. Thanks for listening.